one that you often hear is, well, he's really nervous around men and men wearing hats or men wearing sunglasses. And it's all because of this one time or they'll fabricate it. If it's a rescue, it's like, well, we think he was abused by a man. Dogs don't hold on to the past. You know, we always hear it, dogs live in the moment. We need to be able to distance ourselves from that story, leave that in the past and go, regardless of what happened, I'm gonna help you right now with where you're at. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Honesty Dog Podcast. It's me, Liz Foley, your favorite dog trainer. Joined by Jeff Gadway, your chief storyteller today. (laughs) That kind of is your job. It really is. I have had this intrigue with storytelling for a long time in the business context, Mm -hmm. um, largely because I realized that early in my career, it was something I wasn't very good at. Oh, really? Yeah. I, uh, you know, I worked for a company that was a tech company and, and we were more focused on kind of pushing features and functionality versus Mm. building a narrative. And so I realized that that was sort of a blind spot that I had. And it's been something I've been focused on studying and teaching for a little while now. Yeah. You really leaned into that. I did. But today we're going to lean out of it Mm -hmm. because we're going to talk about why storytelling or sorry, getting stuck in story for that matter, could be detrimental to your relationship and your training with your dog. And because of your professional background, why is it that humans identify so closely with storytelling? Well, storytelling for eons, I don't know, have we even been around for eons? But for, for centuries anyways, has been how we relate to one another as humans. It's mm-hmm. how we teach each other it's how we entertain each other it's how valuable information gets passed down from generation to generation and research would suggest that our brains are wired for story because when information is shared with us in a narrative format versus a factual format it sticks with us longer it triggers emotions it triggers a neurological response that releases chemicals like oxytocin and dopamine and cortisol that have a physiological reaction. So mm-hmm. we are literally hardwired to respond to story. Mm. Yeah, and it helps us feel like we have a connection. Yes, it definitely creates a sense of connection. You know, especially in marketing, what you're trying to do is find people who believe what you believe to cultivate and activate a tribe. And uh, you know, over human history, Tribes have been formed around a sense of identity and mm-hmm. and a large part of that is rooted in story. So, um, you know, it, it makes sense that as humans, we are conditioned to relate to the story of our dogs. But as we've talked about time and time again, dogs are not rational, emotional beings. Mm-hmm. They don't carry a sense of story with them. And so holding on to a story is probably going to hold us back in our training. Absolutely. Can you talk a little bit more about, you know, what story versus reality is and how that figures into a dog psychology approach to dog training? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Like you said, it's human design to kind of have these, these narratives, these our rationale as to why things happen in a certain way. Like we want to make sense of life. We want to make sense of our dog's lives. I often go into a training session and the start is always listening to the client, Mm. right? Listening to what they've been through, what they're experiencing with their dog and their 
um, guesses as to why it's happening. And can I ask, how often is that opening discussion rooted in fact? Dog does this when presented with this scenario, et cetera, et cetera, versus story. It's a lot of story. It's a lot of story. Most of the time. And that's because we relate to our dogs on such an emotional level. And what is what does the story kind of sound like? Like, I'm not asking you to kind of make one up on the spot, mm-hmm. but what are the types of words and phrases that might present themselves in a discussion based on story versus fact? Mm-hmm. So one that you often hear is, well, he's really nervous around men and men wearing hats or men wearing sunglasses. And it's all because of this one time or they'll fabricate fabricate it. If it's a rescue, it's like, well, we think he was abused by a man. Mm. And so we have no idea what actually happened. And here we are painting this really, really sad story that we are obviously gonna feel emotional and obviously feel bad for the dog in that moment. And when you feel bad, when you feel pity, you actually can't help that dog. You're holding it back because you're very emotional. You're not being instinctual. And so we attach emotion to these stories, which you're exactly right, that prevent our dogs from actually improving and getting better because dogs don't hold on to the past. You know, we always hear it, dogs live in the moment. And so we need to be able to distance ourselves from that story, leave that in the past and go, regardless of what happened, I'm going to help you right now with where you're at. Does that make sense? Oh, it makes total sense. It makes total sense. And and I think what's interesting is as a trainer who understands this, there's a delicate balance in in approaching a new training client, or at least w- this is what I've observed. Mm-hmm. Because you don't want to inherit that story from the client, but you also need to give the client an opportunity to feel heard, even if it's just for them to share their truth and their story. And and if I can contrast that to when I participated in TCW, every morning your team would hand out dogs. Mm-hmm. Your team isn't yeah. sharing the story. <laughs> this is Lucy. Lucy grew up on a street in here and had this history of abuse and Mm -hmm. she doesn't like when you wear red pants and you need to do (laughs) there is no story that comes attached with those dogs Mm -hmm. and i think that sets me as a student up for success because i don't have any preconceptions with that dog and yet when you're working with clients i know that you need to kind of budget time for that storytelling just so that clients feel heard even if you're not taking one iota of that story Yeah. Because you're going to assess that dog in the moment as it is. Well, as much as it might not all be truth, it's what the human is holding on to. Like you said, it's their truth. And so knowing still that part of the equation, because the human is part of the dog training. And yeah, the dog is a huge part of it. But I have to understand how the human thinks about their dog in order to help them rethink their dog. That's amazing. (laughs) And so you kind of have to listen to the information at the same time the person is telling you and being like, okay, I'm going to, I'm not going to cut you off and be like, ah, that story, you're falling into this whole thing and you're just making this up about you. No, my gosh, I have to listen. I have to be respectful. Um, It shows me kind of their psyche, you know, a little bit of like how they think about the world, whether they're positive or more negative, if they're fearful or more excited. 
Um, and so you listen and then you look at the dog. And so I get a, a bit of story from the human and the dog can only show me truth. Dogs can't lie. And so it helps me to bridge the two together. And I'll say things like, I, I totally see how you thought this behavior stemmed from this, but what I actually see is X. And then we can have light bulb moments. The opportunity for growth lays somewhere between the story and the truth. Exactly. It's bridging, bridging exactly. that gap. Exactly. And then when you can expose that to light, when you show them, this is how humans tend to think. And you're not alone in that. Like we have in our DNA that we want to create stories. We will lean towards that. We'll fill in the gaps where we think we need to with our imagination subconsciously half the time. And then it's, it's my job to make you aware of what's actually happening with the dog so that if I'm doing my job properly as an educator, you can then catch yourself later on. Yeah, I was falling into story. That's not the story. It's, we got to pay attention to truth. And do you think the reason that dog owners have a tendency to do this is because they observe behaviors with their dog and as humans, we don't like uncertainty. We are conditioned to, to be uncomfortable with uncertainty. And so if I see my dog doing something, some kind of adversive behavior or what, what, whatever it might be, and I can't attribute that to anything, I create story to close that gap. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 1000%. We don't like uncertainty. That makes us anxious. So we go, there's this effect. There must be a cause. Mm -hmm. And our creative minds will come up with something. And how does that hold our dogs back from a training perspective? That is such a deep question. <laughs> um, but kind of simply put, once we have that reason in our minds, we can kind of justify it. Mm. Where we go, okay, well, I understand that. You've been through an experience that has left you completely afraid or whatnot, I will not let that happen to you again. Mm -hmm. So we start to almost protect our dogs from that thing. And like you and I can relate to that completely. Yeah. We, like, and that's the thing is I'm a dog trainer and I can be very objective with other people's dogs and working with clients. Like I am trained for that. So I can show up and be the expert. But with my own personal dogs, I have kind of gotten stuck in story in the past. What came to mind as I heard you saying that is that story, even though it's a fictitious creation, becomes identity. Mm -hmm. And then identity is so hard to change. It goes from this is your story to this is who you are. Yeah. And that is that becomes hardwired. Mm -hmm. And so if we can identify, and this is where we're gonna where we're gonna go next, if we can identify what is story versus what is reality and decouple those things, your dog's identity becomes very malleable and yeah. can be changed. Can I just point out too that like what you just said is so brilliant. Why, the, thank you. <laughs> you're so smart, Jeffy. Um, is story becomes identity. Hello, like we do it to ourselves. I'm anxious. We don't say I am experiencing anxiety right now. Right. Right, we identify. And so how hard is it to not 
be anxious anymore. Mm. You might have moments of being anxious, but you're not an anxious person. Mm -hmm. Same thing with like, I'm not a morning person. We're starting to say these things about ourselves and then we're creating it and living in it. And before we know it, it becomes our identity and we can't change it. Let's apply that to the dog context for a second. How often <laughs> do we hear he's not friendly or like in re referencing our dog, my dog's not friendly or my dog's not good with that's that is saying that your dog is a fixed position. Mm hmm versus he's in training he's in training he's yeah. working on socialization yeah a state of being versus an, an identity i mean even he's a rescue yes right yes how often do we hear that mm -hmm. and it's not like every person who's ever been adopted that's how they introduce themselves mm -hmm. you know what i mean like no like maybe that was a part of your past but that's your dog talk, talk about your dog in the now so what are the two ways that story gets attached to a dog. Mm, yeah. So it's kind of one of two things. You either create the story for your dog um, by what you've experienced together, or sometimes you can even inherit a story. A lot of the time I see that with rescue dogs. Mm -hmm. And I mean, all of our dogs have always been rescue. And we've been told a bit about each one, except, no, we did hear about Blue. We did. Yeah, we've, ha we've had history on all of our dogs. Mm -hmm. Um, and ironically enough, kind of the one that we had the least amount of information about, we made up a story and we only realized that kind of more recently. Which one was that? Ty. Oh, right. Yeah. Like we, he was a very kind of like not known past and he's the one that we ended up kind of attaching an identity to for him. Oh my gosh. I'm realizing as you say that. I am so guilty of that I am because too, and I can't believe it, it makes his background interesting. So mm. with Ty, all we know is that he came from Thailand. He was at Soy Dog Rescue. And then we pieced together other things. Like we'd heard he was you know, hit by a car and then abandoned at a, a Buddhist temple. And like, that's all very interesting and intriguing, but we don't have a whole lot of credibility to it. And mm. yet I've shared that story <laughs> I know. Right? Like, it's so, I don't know. We're, we're only human. Yeah. So anyways, if it can happen to us, it can happen to anybody. But again, why I kind of say like, even trainers need trainers. Mm -hmm. And it was Caesar Milan that helped us go, oh my gosh, we've been stuck in story. So let's talk about, maybe let's talk about each of our dogs to, to different extents. Let's start with Ty, because I think there definitely is a background of storytelling with him. Mm -hmm. And as you were just pointing out, it was brought to our attention recently that maybe we were stuck in his story and that was limiting our potential with him mm -hmm. or our ability to see his full potential. Yeah. So can you maybe talk a little bit about that? Like what was the story that we had gotten stuck in mm -hmm. and how did recognizing that we were stuck in story versus truth liberate us mm -hmm. to move forward i'm trying to think how we kind of got to that point in our time with caesar because he didn't like call us out he wasn't like oh you're stuck in story this is the reality it was you this, realized yeah it. It, he, he does mr miyagi all the time like wax on wax off like it, you somehow come to the realization on your own and he's just your mythical guide mm -hmm. <laughs> um but he he just so clearly, and I, I don't think I've really had many people 
who can be super objective with Ty. They've had already experiences with him versus Caesar just saw him in that moment and how he was feeling. He goes, oh, he's super fearful. He's back at the pack and he's fearful. Um, you need to control that fear for him because otherwise that con- that fear is going to control his whole world. Mm-hmm. And it was like... Phew. Well, I think it was too when he said he's 80% of the way there mm-hmm. and you can get him the rest of the 20%. That just kind of tore down our limiting belief that he had achieved his full potential yeah. and that and that where he was at was as good as we were going to get. Mm-hmm. What we realized is we had seen such a transformation from where he came from that we were accepting this good enough, mm-hmm. right? And this is as good as it's going to get. We've come a long, long way, but maybe this is it for us. Like I almost found myself, and I think you and I talked about this afterwards, when Caesar was working with Ty, like I almost wanted to interject and say something like, just so you know, here's his background. Mm -hmm. And then that's when I was like, oh my gosh, he doesn't need to know his background. He sees the dog right now in this moment. He's worked with many dogs. He's going to know exactly what to do. Mm -hmm. And if I interject and push that story, I can then taint now Caesar's experience with it. Like, I mean, probably not. He'd probably be like, enough with that yeah (laughs) um but like it was lifting the veil for me so that i could just see my own dog in that moment too without story i think one of the stories that we told was that his curmudgeoniness Mm -hmm. with other dogs we were saying he's a street dog Mm -hmm. he's gonna have better instincts around these other dogs because he's had to navigate these uncertain situations. And so if he is kind of correcting or showing that type of behavior, it's because he is recognizing that other dog's uncertain energy or something like mm-hmm. that. Maybe you can put better words to that. But Well, we saw that with Carmen. We trusted Carmen so, so much because we always said she's street smart. and But Carmen was happy-go-lucky. And so Carmen was HR. Mm-hmm. It was. She didn't um, overcorrect. She didn't, um, you know, she was strict with puppies. She was easygoing with happy-go-lucky dogs versus Ty is like tense all the time, no right. matter who it is. So it's not the same, but we're like, he's street dog, she's street dog. They're very similar. Yep. This is what it is. So we were excusing this rude behavior. Yeah. I think it was when Caesar pointed out that he feels it's okay for him to go and sniff other dogs, but he doesn't let them complete the ritual. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my gosh, you're right. It's a one-sided relationship. And we were excusing that as, oh, that other dog's coming in too hot. That other dog's coming in too rude. He's uncomfortable with their energy. It's a them problem. No, it was a him problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's all rooted in insecurity. That's right. And it's like, I saw other dogs do that at daycare or clients dogs do that in group class and i was like we have to get your dog comfortable with now being small and i had i had never seen that ty did that and we just said well that's ty yeah that's ty and we were tying it to his identity and to his story mm-hmm. what about baker mm-hmm. baker i mean we got baker as a puppy still and mm-hmm. he was four months old and it was this sad story of he and his brother were at a shelter and they were going to get put down because they were aggressive, human aggressive. They tried to bite people. Mm -hmm. And 
like to me, like that seemed so ridiculous. Like I kind of scoffed at it. I meet this little guy and I'm like, he's just scared. He's scared of the world. You're going to put down a puppy because he's scared and he's probably in a very stressful situation. He's just trying to defend himself and mm -hmm. there's so much unknown. He may have not even been weaned properly. Like so many factors at play here. And we met him. And we're just like, this guy's just a nervous Nelly and he just needs proper leadership. So we were like, we do not receive that story. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we will take on this dog and give him a new life. Um, and so I think it was partly because he was so young. We're like, that isn't his identity. Versus when we got Ty, we're like, well, he's technically an adult. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know. You know, it was just different to me. So with Baker, there was this sad story and we just didn't want that. For him, we we knew he could have incredible potential to be an amazing little guy, and he is. Like everyone who meets him now wants a little Chihuahua, yeah, because Baker's dope. Um, but we made sure to socialize him really, really well because we knew how nervous he was. So we took that information and went like almost in the opposite direction. We're just mm -hmm. like, okay, if you say this, we're gonna make him X. Yes, you know what I mean. I like that. It's kind of rethinking the role of story not just accepting it for what it is, especially if it's trying to be passed on to you by a rescue or a shelter or another owner or something like that, but taking it as one input. Mm -hmm. And this is probably what you do as a dog trainer. You're putting a lot more value and credibility into the dog you see in front of you, mm -hmm. the instinctual response, but you're like, okay, I'm receiving the story. I'm assessing, you know, like you said, to understand the gap between the story and the reality. And it's like one one input. It's taking it with a grain of salt and then deciding how you want to process that. What elements of that story are you going to receive versus dismiss? Mm -hmm. And maybe that's the same with Carmen too because Carmen came with a lot of story. Mm -hmm. Street dog, Mexico, nobody owned her, hit, hit by, by a, a vehicle. Yeah. Left on her own, like nobody cared for her, disabled, rescued, like so many things that it could have been very easy to just feel sorry for her. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had people telling me because she was three-legged that, you know, she shouldn't run. I shouldn't take her for experiences even playing with other dogs because she might get hurt. And it's just like, I don't want to bubble wrap her and shelter her so much that she doesn't live a life mm -hmm. that's not fair either but there could have actually been and i'm not, again i'm not doubling back and and saying story is good but i think we always saw her as a resilient dog mm -hmm. as a strong dog yeah who had persevered and prevailed through adverse circumstances and so in that regard we let the story fuel her yeah. growth and development and our relationship with her. Yeah. It actually makes me think of a conversation that I've had with friends of mine. And we were reflecting on kind of like our youth and growing up and how- You're still very youthful, by the way. Oh, thank you. But like I'm talking about like high school. Sure. And how, and like even elementary school, how essentially even as humans, we can inherit stories about ourselves. And so it became- um, when one girl was referred to by her teachers as like the rebel, the troublemaker, um, 
you know, and so she was kind of like, she took that and was like, you want to see a troublemaker? I'll become the best troublemaker you ever saw. And it was like, interesting. I kind of was dubbed the girl who was a little slower, <laughs> um, maybe not as smart as the rest. And I kind of took that and ran the opposite direction. I said, I'm going to study so hard. I'm going to apply myself and I'm going to become the smartest person in this class. And it was like, I became on honor roll, like all of these things. So it's kind of how we receive that information and whether it does fuel us to become better or if we're like, I'm going to prove you so right. Mm-hmm. And the thing with our dogs is because they don't have that ability to rationalize and and say, okay, mom, you have said this, I'm going to go this other way. Mm-hmm. I think all they can do is become the story that you place on them. Mm-hmm. So if, you, if you're placing the story on your dog that this dog is fearful, not good with other dogs, they're not able to be like, oh, I reject I'll, that. I'll show you. I'm going to be the best with other dogs. They're just going to become the story that you have attached to them. Because our dogs mirror us, mm. right? And they're picking up on this story and that energy behind that story. So it it becomes, they can't contextualize, oh, well, you think this about me, I'm going to prove you wrong. It's, ooh, you feel this way about this situation, I'm going to protect us. So yeah, like we, again, it comes back to your point about we want to make up stories so that things make sense to us. And we do it about ourselves, we do it about other people, and we do it about our dogs. And it's just our dogs 100% accept that as truth. So how can we get really real with ourselves and maybe Mm -hmm. recognize the signs that we are living in story versus living in truth? What are some things that we could look for as signals that we're stuck in story? One of the big ones is if you tend to make an excuse, right? This is what we did with Ty all the time. He can't do that because, you know, if there's a because in there, it's probably holding you back. Um, So how much do you avoid those situations and those things to help your dog actually grow? Because you do have to push through that a little bit fairly and safely, but yeah, if you're coming up with an excuse, so he can't do X or whatever it is, you're probably stuck in story. Mm-hmm. Making assumptions, perhaps. I think it's 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 tang- tangential to what you're talking about here, but assuming certain outcomes mm-hmm. before before actually seeing, because as you talked about earlier, our dogs live in the moment; they live in the present. They don't have associations per se with specific scenarios. I mean, they can get stuck, mm-hmm. sure. But, you know, assuming that your dog is going to fail in this in this particular instance isn't fair to your dog, yeah. isn't fair to you, and is is based on some kind of fictitious story, perhaps. Yeah. And another one that, like, I can catch people in, and I've started to do this more in sessions, where they'll say, she always does this. Ah. Does she? <laughs> Okay, you sit and you observe what she does with me. And if I can prove you wrong, not even prove you wrong, just show you the the possibility that your dog may choose another option. Mm-hmm. Um, like, so I even tell them, maybe say in the past she's done this. Yes. Right? Or she might do this or she has responded this way, but don't make it this like absolute truth. She hates other dogs. It's, mm-hmm. 
It's so funny hearing you say that because the number of times I've been with you on a private training session and you see owners express this real surprise and delight because with you, the dog doesn't do the thing. Mm -hmm. And they're like, but she always does this. Mm -hmm. And they, and then that's probably why they think that you're a magic wand, <laughs> but it's just because you're not accepting the story and you don't have those reps or, or wins that the dog has with the, the owner. So you're able to wipe the slate clean, so to speak. Yeah. And like, we've always said this kind of that dog trainers are also part therapists. Yeah. And it's, it's like you have a relationship with your dog. So sometimes having a, an objective person come in and just observe and make suggestions and tweaks here and there. Here, try this. Um, what was going through your head when you were doing that exercise? Okay, now I want you to think of this when doing it. It can totally show you the potential. Mm -hmm. It's no different than couples having going to therapy and having somebody just sit and watch and interject and say, hey, have you thought about this? Or maybe try listening. Yeah. <laughs> What are a couple of ways people can get out of story and into reality or into truth? I mean, one of the ones that comes to mind to me, because I've heard you just in the last half an hour use this strategy quite a bit, is the power of language, mm -hmm. changing the language you use. Can you share a couple of examples just to kind of hammer this home? Yeah, so I always tell clients that when I'm working with a dog and I, I I always I receive the story first and I have to go okay compartmentalize that for right now and work with the dog and when I'm working with the dog even knowing all the history of he tends to bite when I do this I have to in that moment like I'm doing self-talk of the dog will relax and give me eye contact the dog is going to follow me I start doing these kind of, I'm already painting the reality of what I want to see because our intentions and our energy play such a huge fact into what actually happens. And so I'm, I'm putting all of my energy into what I want, not all of my energy into what I don't want. Right. And so many people go, I don't want him to lunge at me. I don't want him to bite. I don't want him to pull on leash, whatever it is. And we're saying all these don't, 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 don't. Well, your mind is already stuck in seeing that, so it's going to play out. What you focus on grows. Exactly. Thank you. There's the words. Yeah. I really like that. The other thing that comes to mind for me is trying to adopt a beginner's mindset. Mm, yes, yeah, so important. I heard it described to me once as, if you think about a child learning to walk, right? If the child, every time it falls down, gets fixated on falling, they would never learn to walk and be successful. But as kids, we don't get stuck in story. Mm -hmm. We just keep trying and we're not dissuaded by our failures. We persevere, right? Mm -hmm. And so we forget, adopting a beginner's mindset essentially is forgetting all your preconceptions and, and what you thought you knew and looking at the world through open eyes and, and wonder, mm -hmm. right? And so I think the same could be said for our dogs, right? Trying to disavow all of what we thought we knew about our dog and i think this is what we've done with ty we left 
all of that story up at the ranch. Mm -hmm. And we said, what if we could take him the other 20% of the way? Yeah. What would that look like? Let's, let's forget all the things, all the limitations that we had put on him that are our own creation and just focus on the opportunity, the 20% that's the opportunity that lays ahead of us. And the last, what, two weeks, three weeks mm -hmm. since we had that breakthrough have oh, been incredible. Incredible. Like we, so much possibility. And we have so much more trust and faith in him. And like, I feel the weight has been lifted off of him, that he feels freer, that he feels more liberated, um, that he feels more content and safe. Yeah, beginner's mindset is huge. I talk to clients a lot about, especially with, with how I train, it's different than traditional obedience or anything like that. So forget what you think you knew even about dog training mm -hmm. and let's start fresh. I think the big thing though is letting go of the story takes some self-awareness because this isn't a story that Ty has created or a story that Baker's created. It's a story that we've created. And so it's easier said than done perhaps, but you need to let go a little bit of yourself. Yes, because how much of our identity then becomes I'm the owner of a reactive dog. Mm -hmm. I have three unbalanced rescue dogs, but I rescued them. And you know what I mean? Like how much do we then... Like, are we creating the story to become a victim, mm -hmm. right? And then are we not just receiving pity from other people? You know what I mean? And then it perpetuates and it perpetuates. So not only have you given necessarily your dog an identity, but you have created a story as the owner of this maybe damaged dog and woe is me, right? And and we start to see that. Ooh, another example, perfect example too, I just remembered this, of getting stuck in story is a lot of the time I see it with separation anxiety and he misses me, mm -hmm. right? And he needs me to protect him or whatever it is. And it's- How much of that story is that person wanting to feel needed? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And have purpose as a protector. Mm -hmm. And so it was actually Todd Langston that used the example, um, he told me, and he uses this with clients. <laughs> Um, does your dog really miss you? Picture this. You, your kid locks you in the bathroom in your home and then you hear the garage open and they're taking your car. And maybe this is like a 12-year-old. Do you miss your 12-year-old when they're doing that? Or are you worried about them and need to protect them and, you know what I mean, mm -hmm. are going to be concerned about their well-being that's what your dog is going through your dog doesn't think you can exist in the real world without them right it's not missing so just another example of story yeah okay. yeah i think i think these are all great examples and the the point i'm taking away here is in order to let go of story we need to be comfortable being uncomfortable and confronting mm -hmm. the realities of the relationship that we have with our dogs yep. for good or for worse. I think with with Blue, letting go of the story that we had around, around why he is the way he is required us to recognize that we were trying to rush yeah. assimilating him into our pack and him being at the same level of our other dogs. And that meant that we had to realize we were holding him to a different standard, a different timeline, and that's kind of hard to realize, yeah. right? Same thing with Ty. It meant realizing that 
we weren't comfortable seeing his own potential mm-hmm. or that maybe we had given up on him a little yeah. bit. Maybe and that's hard. Maybe we didn't trust ourselves to finish the job. Mm-hmm. So we excused the behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, and that self-awareness is hard. Absolutely. But as you pointed out, Liz, coming to that realization, it's kind of liberating. Mm-hmm. Once you're once you're able to be real with yourself, let go of the story and just focus on the dog that you have in front of you in this moment, on this day, in this circumstance, it's freeing. Mm-hmm. Well, I think too, if you look at it, we got a three-legged street dog. We got a second three-legged street dog. We compared the two. Like we kind of had, we attributed some of Ty's behavior to being very similar to Carmen, mm-hmm. right? And the same thing has kind of happened with our two little dogs. We got a chihuahua and we got another chihuahua. And we are just like, they're very similar. We can we did it with Baker and we can do it with Blue. And it was like, Blue's a different dog, right? Ty's a different dog than Carmen. Sometimes we compare or put dogs in the same bucket. Mm-hmm. And it might be within our own pack. It might be with a friend or a family member or a past dog. But you really need to just recognize each dog is is different and coming into your life at a different time under different circumstances and that it's not fair to them or to you to apply the story. Yeah. Well, Liz, thanks for sharing your experience with story and reality. I think this is kind of a cool episode because it blends two of our passions together. Yeah, I know. My kind of uh, interest in and enthusiasm for storytelling with your expertise in behavior-based training and dog psychology. This is really fun. Mm -hmm. And I hope it's helpful for listeners to hear that, hey, we're not perfect. Um, I hope I didn't lose anybody's respect or anything (laughs) with with saying that, right? And that sometimes, you know, I can catch my own self falling into these traps. It's only natural. We're only human. Um, But I think it's very helpful information in this episode to help people to recognize, hey, am I stuck in story? Well, I think it's what you do with it, right? Yeah. It's what you do with it. It's it's how you how you move past it, how you progress. Something I want to leave people with is just just a thought. And I just, I came up with this like two seconds ago. So I'm curious to get your thoughts. Evaluate where you might have story around your dog and write it down. Write it, write it down. Write down your dog's story. And then burn it. And, well, I was actually <laughs> going to say, and then let it go, right? Yeah. Get it out, let it go, and see if it doesn't liberate you to take that next step with your dog, whatever it is, deepening mm-hmm. your relationship, addressing that lingering problem behavior, letting go of your guilt, letting go of yeah. your pity. Yeah, and forgiving yourself. We had to forgive ourselves for keeping Ty stuck. So like wipe the slate clean. We're starting fresh. It's a new life. Flip that page and move on to the next chapter of your non-story. Look at you. Thank you so much, Jeffy, for sharing your insight and asking really good, tough questions. That's what I'm here for. And thank you so much for listening. And until next time, stay calm and assertive. If you like what you heard, hit that subscribe button and leave us a comment or a review. We'd love to hear from you. We release a new podcast weekly. Follow us on Instagram at Honest to Dog Podcast.
Honest the Dog podcast is hosted by Liz Foley and Jeff Gadway. The show is engineered, edited, and produced by me, Timothy Musa. Check out doghouse.ca. D-O-G-H-A-U-S dot C-A.